Welcome to episode 27 of Blue Jays Happy Hour Live. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stone. We are coming off a Blue Jays series win over the Tigers. It felt at times like there, this series is going to be kind of disastrous with the um, the Alec Manoa issue, and we haven't seen the end of that, but it looks like that's going to be okay. Only the one loss. It definitely looked at times like there was going to be more than one loss, which is not what you want to see in a series against a team this poor, and you were playing at home. But let's start with today's game. Stoughton, anything jump out um, beyond, you know, Barrios having a great outing, Matt Chapman continuing to be hot. We can touch on both those things, but what is uh, jumping out at you from this breezy game that got over in a hurry? Yeah, it really was. Um, yeah, I, I mean, other than Chapman and Barrios, I don't know. Vibe look, looking okay. Uh, it's gonna. It feels. It feels like the trailer. What <laughs> the trailer slash movie thing still haunts. Uh, it. Uh, it feels like. It's been a long time that we've been saying he hasn't really quite even looked like himself yet, which is, uh, you know, the longer you have to say that, the more you're like, oh, maybe that's just who he is, which is still tremendously good. And uh, I think it was good to see him, you know, really hit the ball on the screws a few times. But also, as you say, it's a garbage team, the Tigers, and, uh, you know, it's hard to know what to take from anything like that. Um, But, yeah, uh, Barrios is really good. I saw people complaining that he was taken out early, which – Welcome to modern baseball, but uh, otherwise, no, breezy game. Yeah, I mean, you could make an argument for leaving him in longer, but the bullpen isn't particularly taxed right now, and in theory there might be some additions in the next couple of days. Um, You know, when you have a guy like Barrios who's had some inconsistency issues, I'm also not against erring on the side of giving him, you know, the confidence, giving him, you know, closure on a good start, not risking something, you know, if he – gives up a two-run home run in the eighth inning, even if that doesn't lose in the game, it kind of changes the dynamic of the start he had. And really, I mean, flawless would be exaggeration. He didn't strike out a ton of guys, but he made the one mistake. And other than that, he was efficient. I thought that, you know, sometimes he was dialing up his fastballs to 96, which, you know, you see from him occasionally, but he did it a little bit more often in this game. He looked a little bit more dynamic that way. It's tough because the Tigers... Uh, lineup is dreadful <laughs> and it, especially against right-handed pitching like they have some guys who can kind of get it done against lefties but against right-handed pitchers they're literally this is literally the worst group in the league you, you look at the box score right now you just go down the OPSs the best you're going to see is a 721 like that is rough like Baez is supposed to be significantly better than this you know Cabrera is a husk it's yeah it's tough to be like hey Barrios really looked great against that Tigers lineup because it's just not an MLB caliber lineup right now. Yeah, it, it, it's tough. I mean, it, Miguel Cabrera, you know, you'd love to see guys, you know, stay there, not their whole career, obviously, but like stay forever, be the legend playing, you know, playing out, you know, that long contract. He's, he's a reason, you know, kids want to go to the ballpark and stuff, but yeah, that's, that's a tough, uh, kids haven't seen him be clean. good. Yeah, adolescence at best. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, uh, it, it, it's true. The Tigers lineup is uh, is a tough one. I think you make a good point about Barrios uh, and you know leaving with a good taste in his mouth kind of stuff, and which is something that John Schneider said about Kikuchi's start the other day, which was kind of you know I think it was fairly short, and obviously you know he'd been on the IL or whatever, but like uh, pr- probably could have gone longer, but made the actually exact point like we. You know, we wanted to have him sort of feel good about the start, and I think that that's that that probably makes some sense with Barrios. I mean, the content is hard; it was at times, and for a bad lineup, you know, maybe that's not what you want. But uh, um, yeah, I, I, I mean, obviously, just the the consistency sort of coming back into Barrios' start, you know, start by start, uh, is huge. Even if uh, I don't know, I, I wasn't thrilled with some of the hard contact, but I have to sort of like remember that I think that's just a bit of who he is. Yeah. I mean, he's someone who in theory is going to strike out roughly a guy in inning and he's not going to walk anybody. And then as a result of that, you can live with a little bit of hard contact in this game. You know, the Baez home run was, you know, not the greatest pitch, but you know, Baez is a guy who has been bad this year, but who can really do it. And, you know, Baez, you know, he hit, as they said, nearly three home runs off him in that first at bat, which was truly the highlight yes. of the game. <laughs> I, I think so. 
you're watching a game where, you know, there's no such thing as an inevitability. And we see, you know, we saw over the course of the series, they didn't sweep the series, right? But the Blue Jays are extremely heavy favorites in this game. They have a better starter on the mound. They have better players throughout the lineup, pretty much top to bottom. So it's one of those little, and we were talking before about the 28-run win and just something that you remember, right? I don't know if we're going to remember this, but maybe you should. Like seeing two brother-in-laws go at it, Baez missing that fifth deck home run by not a lot. And, you know, there's not a ton of guys who have hit that home run before. And he could have joined a pretty elite list. He missed by a few feet. And, uh, you know, he ended up with a walk there, which is totally atypical of him. And just seeing the interaction between those guys, it was a cool thing that made a game that could be quite drab at points, even though it moved along quickly, feel a little bit more special. Like I said, I don't know if we're going to be talking about this for years to come or whatever, but um, it's just one of those moments that set this game apart. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I uh, can't believe Baez walked. <laughs> more special than any yeah and forget all the brother-in-law stuff it was yeah. it was a walk that really uh set it apart we'll be talking um, about it we'll be telling our grandchildren about it yeah so this is our last episode before the trade deadline happens and as we announced on twitter the idea is to come at you guys pretty much right after the deadline at six thirty on tuesday but it means that we get to squeeze it for content just a little bit more on the speculation side. We'll have the reactions next time. But this is our last chance to speculate on the deadline. So we hope that you will indulge us. I think that, you know, that begins with the Luis Castillo trade. That's the first, you know, all due respect to Benintendi, but that's the first kind of real domino to fall. And what we saw here, and, you know, there's a million different prospect lists. I just happened to look at fan graphs. Um, the Mariners built a four-player package around their the number 11 prospect in baseball, their top prospect, Noel V. Marte, uh, Edwin Arroyo, kind of an interesting 18-year-old shortstop, a relief prospect by the name of Andrew Moore, and uh, a sort of back-end, older, close-to-the-majors, depth starter guy, uh, Levi Stout. We're not going to go deep into the Mariners' uh, farm system and really break down those guys. But the shape of that was interesting to me because it took one player who's sort of at the very top and the Blue Jays' only guy like that is Moreno. Like maybe you could argue for Tiedemann or Martinez, but I probably wouldn't say that they're in this range. And then another interesting guy and then another a couple guys who you could see making an impact in the nearest future. And seeing this made me less optimistic the Blue Jays had kind of a functional package for Frankie Montas or the next guy because – if they aren't going to give up Moreno, the drop down to the next guy you build a package around is uh, is somewhat significant. I think so. I think that's probably true. I mean, I think I understand why uh, the Reds obviously took the pack, the package for the Mariners. Um, maybe the Jays will get Moreno, give up Moreno. I do think that like some of that back end of those, top, you know, like the top guys are the top guys. I think so, you know, there's a lot of shifting around and a lot of different opinions. And then like Tiedemann is one guy, like you say, like that that guy could be in the you know a lot of I, I don't know that a lot of organizations have uh, a Ricky Tiedemann. Like, it, it depends on I guess how excited you are about it, and it's easy to get. Uh, to see only one side of it here in sort of Blue Jays land, um, but uh, there there definitely could be guys who have a lot of value to teams that are not necessarily popping up on top 100s. Like I, I saw people talking about Tiedemann as in a in a package or some, somebody like that in a package for you know I think a national writer wrote about it maybe about Soto or maybe it was Ian Happ I think. Uh, but anyway, a lot of fans were responding in the comments about like oh not even a top 30 guy because they're looking at MLB pipeline and it's like it hasn't you know it hasn't reached set yet i don't think i don't think the team is not the top 30 guy maybe they were looking at old one but like i don't know there's a lot of movement obviously when you're talking about uh not just those lists and how quickly they move but also like how quickly guys develop so there could be i think they have like really interesting guys in their system and and i think they probably could put together a package that maybe doesn't look like you know top 10 guy in all of baseball uh prospect wise like the like that the 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 red scott for castillo but I, I think that that doesn't necessarily mean they can't do it. Uh, and it will be tough, though. I think. I mean, we saw John Morosi tweeted during this game about Montes was uh, the the mark. The teams really into the Montes market are the Blue Jays and the Yankees, and I think the Cardinals. I forget which the other one was. Um, 
Which at least some indicate well, it indicates that John Morosi wants to uh, hit on Fan Five Nine anymore. But it also indicates that uh, uh, you know the Jays are sort of looking there, and and if they're this deep into conversation, I guess they have the horses to do it. Uh, teams obviously will like Aravis Martinez, despite you know not having a great year. It was an aggressive promotion, and uh, you know they're working on the swing decisions and stuff like that. So so he he's not a finished product, but the power is a, a lot to like, and what you saw in spring is a lot to like. And I'm sure there are days when you know he's not as uh, as, as hacking away as others. Uh, but the stat line doesn't look great. But I don't know. I, I think the I think that a lot of op- options are still probably open, despite the fact that. Uh, they probably don't want to move Moreno unless they really, really have to. Yeah, I think that the packages they would put put together, and we have Ron on the line, so I'm going to finish this thought relatively quickly before we get back to more of a in-depth on the deadline. But um, I think that their issue is that the headliner is a bit tough, and a lot of teams really um, prize that headliner, yeah. partly from a PR perspective, but just the way they value uh, players, it's always good to have you know, those 60 future value guys to use the fan graphs terminology, they're hard to come by. They're incredibly hard to develop. So the Blue Jays having to put together a package, if it doesn't include Moreno, will be two guys a little bit further down. You're going to have to include, yeah, two, you know, for, for this package, it really was one guy and then a pretty big gap before the other guys. The Blue Jays package might be two guys, you know, maybe it's Martinez and Groshan, something like that. It would would have helped the Blue Jays if one of those guys had really taken off this season because then you would have that number two, and maybe Tiedemann really is that number two. People believe in his progression this season enough to put him in that class. It's hard to say where they're being valued. Like you said, these lists are not updated and different teams value different players differently. Uh, that's a lot different, but that's the way it is. So it is hard to say with great degree of confidence, but I think if the Blue Jays are making a package for someone similar to Castillo, it will be not necessarily the one headliner and then the rest. It will be maybe two guys who are just below headliner, and I'm not sure if that's what other teams want. But there's a lot of variables involved, and let's uh, get to Ron, who has been <laughs> waiting patiently. Yeah, let's do that. Ron, thank you so much for giving us a call. Everybody else, you're encouraged to do so as well. You'll just have to unmute yourself, Ron. Oh, we we don't have Ron, or do we? This is going to be a last call, Ron, because the next thing we're going to do is going to take some time. You've already been patient. <laughs> All right, we're going to okay. uh, we're going to pass on Ron. Oh, I accidentally put it back in. All right, we're we'll moving on. Sorry, we couldn't get you or couldn't figure that out, Ron. That, that's the price of doing business. No, so one thing we want to do is go through kind of the top guys who are available at the deadline, remind people. I think that they see the names that are actively in rumors about the Blue Jays, but there are quite a few other guys out there. And just for the sake of this exercise, I thought you and I, Stoden, would pick IA. Um, how well we think these guys fit with the Blue Jays. So this is from an MLB trade rumors list of their top uh, top guys who are trade candidates, how well they fit with the Blue Jays, and then kind of the likelihood of them actually being a Blue Jays target. Uh, they had a list of 60. That would be pretty tough audio to get through. So we've, yeah. cut it, we've cut it down to 10. And that starts, of course, with Juan Soto. We have discussed Soto on the podcast before. As an on-field fit, you know, it's pretty good. I, I have a 5 out of 10 here. Maybe that's, you know, a little bit low, but... You'd have to move a lot of pieces around in theory because there's not a lot of outfield DH at-bats to go around. You'd end up trading one of those guys out. So at the end of the day, it would work. I mean, you could put a 10 out of 10 here, and that would be fine as well. He's a good enough player that you just make it work. Um, He fits with them in a lot of ways as a left-handed bat. He's an incredible player. I don't know. There's not too much to say about the fit. In terms of the likelihood, you know, I added a one out of 10. I don't think it's literally impossible, but we've heard a lot of the Padres and the Dodgers being the prime teams in the mix for the Padres. It seems like a, I want to save my job move uh, from that front office, which is valid. Saving your job is cool. Having an income is nice for the Dodgers. It's more the fact that they can print money. And so sending him the long-term contract that he deserves does not prevent them from doing other things the way it would potentially for other teams. Yeah, uh, 
yeah, I don't think we need to dwell on Soto. I'm, I agree, one out of ten for the Jays. That might be on the high side. Uh, maybe I'm a little too pessimistic. It's not a pessimistic time of year, especially you know we're so close and so little has you know, moved on the market. But uh, yeah, I don't see it uh, for a variety of reasons. And uh, obviously, you make a player like that fit. Yeah, um, and to be clear, when I say one out of ten, that is not a likelihood. Like I believe it is less than ten percent. Um, but it's a one out of 10 on the way it's being rated. Number two, Wilson Contreras. That's a zero and zero. I think we can breeze yeah. through that. Blue Jays not in the catching market. Josh Bell. Uh, I, I would have had him higher on fit earlier in the year. I was actually quite enamored with the idea of Josh Bell, but I've seen the way that they've used the DH slot. Also, you know, Biggio and... Tapia giving them a little bit more from the left side. I think they've been the best team in the league hitting right-handed pitching overall anyway. So the need for that big left-handed bat has come down a little bit. I'd still give it a 5 out of 10. I still think, you know, it's not the worst idea in the world to mix things up. For likelihood, I gave it a 2 out of 10. And a lot of these scenarios, even if a guy in theory fits with the Blue Jays, you have to outbid every other team. So I just think there are other teams that are going to be more desperate for that presence in their lineup than the Blue Jays are. Yeah, I, I think that's usually a good filter to to think about these sorts of things through, like the, the free agent signings as well. You know, it's like the team that that is willing to go the extra year is the one that's going to get them. And you know, sometimes you can sort of see that coming and understand why. It's like, okay, this team isn't as desperate as the as you know when the Blue Jays went to four years on Ryu. You understand, you understood why that was more meaningful to them and worth that extra year and worth that extra money, worth that extra risk than it might have been for the other teams they were bidding against who had all, had better different alternatives, better alternatives, didn't really need to put their head and stick their necks out that much. Uh, I think it functions kind of the same way in terms of trades and the packs that, that teams are uh, are willing to offer. And, and yeah, you know, Bell, uh, yeah, I, I'm 100% with you, both, both five, whatever it was, to five and two or whatever it is. I don't think that's likely at this point. I think that, you know, the, the D slot, I can, I can think of at least one guy who probably needs to be, uh, if not, uh, sitting down for a bit and not playing center field and uh, or maybe getting some more DH at bats. Though it really does seem like the, the hitting is what's hurting Springer more than the uh, than, than the defending. And so maybe sticking him in the DH spot isn't, it, do, it doesn't really help him all that much. But uh, yeah, uh, Tapia and Biggio have done a really nice job. Uh, that like. Like you say, that doesn't mean they don't have a need for a left-handed bat still, but uh, the lineup's all right. Like, it's uh, <laughs> the series against Detroit notwithstanding. Yeah, and so then the next guy on the list is the guy uh, Morosi mentioned, Frankie Montas. Uh, I, for fit, I put seven. I still am inclined to believe that he might be a little bit higher in the market than they're shopping. That's why I put four to ten on the likelihood, uh, with all due respect to Mr. Morosi in that report. Um, yeah, maybe they are finalists for him. I understand. I know that they were interested in Castillo as well. Like it would be foolish for them not to check in on these guys because the rotation is a concern. It's just whether that that's the level of guy they want to go after. And a lot of people said, oh, Castillo and Montas are kind of the same guy if you look at their stats. But um, going into them a little bit, I'm not sure I buy that argument. I, I, I would rather have Castillo by a pretty significant margin, which is not to say that Montas is a bad pitcher at all. But I don't think they're quite the same tier, which I guess on the plus side, you could say maybe the return won't be quite as high. The Blue Jays have certainly traded with the Athletics before to good effect, but I would still be surprised if he's the guy they come down with. Yeah, I'm in the same place. I think I think fit maybe even a little bit less. I'm I'm not, you know, I, I they need they need somebody who can soak up some innings. But I mean, they they paid such a high price for for Gossman and for Barrios. That shouldn't factor in, but all and they do need somebody who can cover. You know, the, the innings they're going to lose from Ross Stripling next year. But Montes, I don't know. For some reason, I mean, this is maybe just stupid gut bullshit. But I just, I, I'm not sure that's the fit for for them. I wonder what they think about the shoulder thing, which is uh, uh, a bit of a red flag, I guess. But but you know, they're pitchers; they all come with red flags. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know, and I think I think the likelihood probably a four is about right. I mean, I, I think they could do it. I would be thrilled if they did. I mean, that's a good pitcher. That's a you know that's a top that makes the Blue Jays a lot better. And flags fly forever. I don't care if they do it, but just thinking about whether they would, 
it just again like the like thinking about it with in terms of free agents and stuff, I just feel like their desperation should be more focused towards the bullpen and that maybe will pull them away from some of these top end starting spot pitchers because because also they can get a Quintana or you know I mean <laughs> there will be a big ideally guy. not a Quintana but it's a guy like that right I mean that creep can roll though uh but so yeah i don't know i i I don't i don't feel it but i also don't feel bad about it it's funny a tangent here but it's funny to watch a lot of i've seen a lot of twitter talk where people get mad at at the blue jays for not doing something in the future that they haven't not done yet it's like oh they gotta get you know they gotta get this guy and it's like i don't i don't first of all just the, the whole concept of of I'm thinking that way. I don't understand, but uh, yeah, I would be upset if they didn't get Montes. The next guy on the list is someone who I do find a little bit more interesting. He's not as much of a name, but Tyler Molly of the Cincinnati Reds is, is having a pretty solid season and has been, it was good last year as well. And if you kind of dig into some of the stack stuff, you know, not too dissimilar to Montas. He doesn't throw, super hard he's a splitter guy i don't know if you want to have multiple splitter guys in your rotation but the blue jays have seen um you know in the pete walker era i don't know if it's a coincidence because he threw a splitter too uh, but they have had a little bit of a soft spot for guys who throw the splitter and he's an interesting mix for me like i had him as an eight as a fit and a five as a likelihood i know we haven't heard rumors on him but he is someone who is sort of in between. He's not the guy that you empty the farm system for necessarily. No one thinks of him as an ace, but he's a little bit better than the guys you have, you know, the the Quintanas of the world, yeah. significantly better than that. So he he threads the needle for you. He comes with a year of control. Like I, I think he's, you know, I think if people might be disappointed with like just getting the fifth starter, he's the nifty step up there. And he's got a 440 ERA this year, I know, but the expected ERA is 330. You know, people don't realize, I think, how much of a hitter's park it is in Cincinnati. It's a wild place to pitch. It's not Coors Field, but from a home run perspective, it can be really brutal. So he's someone who could leave the NL Central, come to the AL East, and actually end up with better stats potentially just because. Uh, that ballpark can be absolutely wild at times. So he's interesting to me. So I have an eight and a five on him. You're very, you're very sharp. I, li- I, I like that. I like that uh, that pick, and I like those numbers. Yeah, and I, you're right that the uh, it's a bad box there, the Great American Ballpark or whatever, whatever whoever's got the naming rights now. I don't even know. Uh, and yeah, he's he's definitely between the 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 Montes tier and the uh, Quintana tier. Um, I think you're right that people would be disappointed if that was like the big get, but also if you do that and you have more pieces to maybe get, I mean, geez, the bullpen situation is, is rough a little bit, unless you start, you know, unless you get, get a couple guys from the Tigers and get Tyler Miley and you know what? Feel pretty good about that. Uh, maybe not sexy names, and you know it's not it's not Soto, it's not Otani. It's nice that we're that we think about those and can talk about those. Uh, man, those guys are awesome. But uh, but yeah, I think that would be a really really solid uh, solid pickup. And I, I think to I think to uh, our old friend Alex Anthopoulos and what happened with the Braves last year. Like those weren't necessarily sexy names that he went out and got. He didn't go you know, shopping at the top of the market per se. Uh, worked out real well. Like uh, raising raising the floor in all the places where the floor needs raising is uh, a real nice idea. Yeah, and I think that you could even take a look at him through the rest of the year. And let's say you're running a four pitcher player uh, four pitcher rotation in the playoffs. Uh, obviously, they'd have to win a round, so this is a lot of casting into the future. But there's a world where he takes over over Stripling for sure as your number four starter. But that doesn't have to happen. So I, I, I like kind of the various possibilities with him. The next guy on the list is Ian oh, Happ. Before, before we move to Hat, just because uh, just I'm going to plug you, because you uh, you wrote about you know the history of uh, Shapiro and Atkins at the deadline this week, and and a thing you know you mentioned Mailey's uh, ERA. Um, it it strike it reminds me of like Francisco Liriano was a guy who had a terrible ERA, and the Blue Jays sort of took a chance on any year that they ended up going to the ALCS, and and you know that that it won't necessarily be a hindrance. I think you know they'll see the stuff and they'll see you know all sorts of other reasons to do it that that uh, we, you know we might we might have to think our way through if uh, such a move happens. But I'd I'd like that one. Yeah, and then Robbie Ray was the same thing, and I know they didn't take him to have a huge role with them, but they identified that you know this is a guy that isn't too far away from doing some good stuff, and he was pretty good for them down the stretch. And then obviously we know what happened in twenty twenty one. 
that is not what will necessarily happen with Tyler Maley. But uh, anyway, Ian Happ, this is a name we've heard a lot uh, linked to the Blue Jays. So I gave him for likelihood a six as the most likely um, on this list. As a fit, a seven, you know, he's a switch hitter who can play in either corner. He can play in center field in a pinch. Just a versatile player who, you know, potentially he's going to start for you. Even if he doesn't, he he does a lot of things right. He gets on base. He's got a fair amount of power, even though it hasn't really shown through this season. I This one is one that I understand for sure for the Blue Jays because he uh, he does a lot of things right. He doesn't He's not an amazing player. He's not a star by any means. He's got 2.3 war this year. That's his career high already. But he he fills a bit of a gap, and we've talked about the bench and how there's a couple spots that aren't really being used in a sense. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he does give you sort of the majority of the bats, but he's someone I could definitely see making an impact for the Blue Jays, and I don't think the price tag on him would be um, prohibitive. Yeah, I think that he would probably be in the mix for similar reasons to like. I mean, the, we've seen the Blue Jays do do it before, where you know, with Marcus Simeon, they're like, "Well, yeah, we, we probably we probably should get more pitching," but uh, I don't know. We could just we just hit a ton of baseballs and just add to the offense. And you know, whether uh, they they don't care so much, you know, where whether it's a run prevented or a run scored, as long as they end up on the right side of that equation. So it, it seems it seems odd for them to go for you know more offense but uh but but that does make some sense in in the sense that's a lot of sense uh that uh that he might be available and that, and that could, they could make that fit for sure i think that would be they still need relievers but still i think that would be a good one i'm gonna go through the next two quickly just because i have them both at a hard zero and zero <laughs> um jd martinez i think you know right-handed sluggers who don't play any defense not really what this team needs Brandon Drury, I mean, I know they like him because they got him <laughs> once, but uh, yeah, just again, not really fit. They don't need a right-handed hitting infielder. Um, it is kind of remarkable that he has become a player who does things on a baseball field that are positive because I would have bet against that uh, based on his Blue Jays tenure, but you know. <laughs> I would have bet against that uh, at the time he was traded for J-Hap or J-Hap was traded for him. Oh, I, I, I mean. One of the lone voices who was like, oh, okay, see what they're seeing here uh, i'm not trying to give myself too much credit in retrospect but i hated that trade at the time i'm like why the blue jays are not close enough to be getting the guys who are this old and close to the majors but have no ceiling which is <laughs> kind of what happened i remember john lott kind of roasted me i think uh, maybe it was in a slack i know john wasn't in slack a lot but <laughs> but uh, was made it clear it was not uh, he was not a fan of that one either and you know, well, I, that, that, I remember that because it's like, oh, well, no, I don't want to be on the. I don't want to disagree with John. He's, he knows what the hell he's doing. Yes, that is absolutely. I remember asking. Uh, I think it was a 2019 deadline, sort of the press conference after. And I think it was the 42 years of control one, and I kind of <laughs> asked a fairly pointed question to Atkins about how they kept getting these old, close to the majors prospects when. You know, they weren't close to being good. Obviously, I didn't phrase it like that. Um, and they really pushed back on, they're like, oh, well, you can't just get like 21 year olds. Like, teams pray, like, uh, teams are holding on to those. Those are the best prospects. And I'm like, well, what about Samad Taylor? Like, what about guys who are far? Like, I don't know. It seemed weird at the time. They were really stacking up a bunch of 23, 24 year olds in AAA, AA. And I think that's part of what went wrong with them and their kind of pitching generation of the Thornton and Wagusback and Kay's a little bit different because he had some prospect pedigree, but none of those guys panned out. Hatch is another yeah. one. Well, yeah, that's that's a shame. No, I, I think that's I think that is uh, that's a great point. It uh, that was weird. I mean, I think we can have a whole conversation about that and what what they were really doing in those weird years when they're like, no, we're competing, but we're they're just half pregnant and. and uh, I don't know. We that that would that would take us that would take us another forty five minutes. Yeah, we we can. Well, <laughs> yeah, I did do that piece, and the twenty eighteen and nineteen deadlines were not uh, fruitful for the Blue Jays. But we can perhaps talk about that in the context of the deadline after it happens, how it compares to the other ones. But let's just keep motoring down this list. Just a couple more names: David Robertson, kind of the top reliever name on the board for fit i had nine like anyone who's really good as a reliever can be a nine in my book for likelihood i had five again with daniel bard off the board which is insane <laughs> the, the, that the rockies 
I know that you tweeted about how you get it. I uh, I don't get it. The Rockies are they're not running a good franchise over there. Uh, <laughs> they're absolutely not. But but also, yeah, I get I get it on the yeah. Uh, yeah, I get it. It's stupid. But also, like, if you're a fan and if you're Daniel Bard. Oh, if Daniel Bard wants to sign a, an extension, that makes tons of sense. <laughs> like, Ken Giles was great in 2019. Like, that was, like, a bright spot on a terrible team. Uh, you know, it was nice to have a, a, a closer, you know. I don't, he, if he's happy and his family's happy, I, I'm fine with it. It is, you know, if I was the Rockies and, and didn't require his consent to do that and was and my like my job was to build a good baseball team, he would not be playing for any team or getting an extension. But, you know, uh, yeah, it's, it's, there's a lovely element to it uh, that I can't uh, – I'm, I'm trying to not be that cynical – uh, ghoul like uh, like forever ago I was. And the thing with the Rockies is they always sort of have a pretty good entertainment product. Like they have a great ballpark and even when their team is garbage, they're going to score runs. So um, I understand that aspect of it. But in this market where there just aren't a lot of great relievers, especially rental relievers, uh, that really stood out. Anyway, that kind of makes Robertson the man unless you're going kind of deeper into the guys with control, which the Tigers you know, guys like Joe Jimenez, things like that. Um, I, you know, I, again, are the Blue Jays going to outbid people for Robertson? I have a hard time believing it because they just haven't shown that to me before. They haven't shown me that they want to shop at the top of the relief market. I think this is the year to do it. A rental reliever, even one that is prized by a lot of teams, a lot of teams are going after. At the end of the day, the price can only go so high. Like whatever you trade for Robertson, I don't think you're going to end up thinking, man, that's wild that we did that. Like, it's not going to be Tiedemann, you know? It's not going to be uh, Aurelvis Martinez. And if it is, they'll walk away from the table. But I just I don't think the price for him ends up being that high just because rentals, unless they're absolute superstars or ace-level starters, they just don't go for that much anymore. So, I don't know. I'd be interested to see them do it, but they have to show me that they prize that type of reliever, and they haven't done that. That's true, and I, though also I think that you know they prize control, and if they're paying a, a pretty hefty price for that guy as a rental, I mean, if they're gonna, I, I think if they're gonna get a reliever, it'll be somebody with control, one of those other guys, uh, because the you know the, I mean the prices will be higher than for Robertson, obviously, um, but it's still they're still relievers, and and I, and they the, I think the bigger thing is that they will need relievers next year as well. I mean, everybody obviously will, but I think. Uh, you know they paid they paid Kirby Yates a bunch of money to not pitch for them that one year last year, uh, <laughs> and uh, I, but no, I, I could I could see it because I think it is it's just a damn time they got to get a reliever they got to get at least one reliever uh, to come and get some swing and miss at the back of this bullpen. We cannot watch Jimmy Garcia, Tim Meza, and Jordan Romano be the only like reliable non Adam Simber division guys uh, in the playoffs. Like you got you got knock Trevor Richards either onto the waiver wire or like down to like, you know, like, like low, low leverage duty. Like it's, uh, you know, get himself back in that. He could be useful if he were able to like not work in in high leverage situations like that. It, the, the red, the Richards thing is crazy, but that's a tangent. Yeah, Richards but, has got like the, the amazing outing plus one home run every time. It's kind of like Barrios to be honest, where it's like, yeah. wow, he's having a great outing. And then it's like, bang home run. It's like, that's tough to say that it was an amazing outing anymore, but that's baseball. Yeah. But anyway, Robertson would be a great fit. I think you're right. I'm, I'm not sure about the likelihood either, because I think, you know, I think they will do something on the relief front just because I think they have to. Like I have no fucking special insight into what they're thinking, but they have to. Uh, and I would see maybe them paying more for a guy with a little bit more control. Not a ton more control because you don't know what the hell's going to happen with any reliever too far down the line. Uh, but there are probably guys in the sweet spot that might make more sense for them. The last guy on the MLB trade rumors list is Noah Syndergaard, who I have as a seven fit and a six likelihood. Again, I know... I haven't really heard a ton of rumors. He does seem like sort of exactly the guy that would make sense. It's weird because he's exactly the opposite of who we think he is. Like when you hear his name and you think about uh, the insane velocity and the nickname Thor, and he, you know he's a bit of a rock star for a while. And nowadays, he's really like a location command guy. Like the the velocity has departed. 
he's someone who is, yeah, he fits the profile of a back of the rotation innings eater. And it's a shame to see that that's the way his career trajectory is gone. And there's a lot of what ifs with Syndergaard's whole career and with the Blue Jays in particular. But if you can throw away all that baggage for a second, you know, here's a guy on a bad team who's a rental and can eat some innings at the back of the rotation. And that's, it's weird that that's what Noah Syndergaard is at the moment, but that's kind of what the Blue Jays need. And I could see it a hundred percent. Yeah, I would love that. I think a lot of people would love that. That's that. That's sort of like a sexy name without being a sexy name. You know, obviously, like you say, Thor coming around, even though, yeah, not the same guy. Uh, could always throw strikes, which is, you know, why he was so good. when He was throwing like 99 or 100 and, or whatever it was. And, 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 you know, wasn't just completely not knowing where the ball was going. Um, and it is weird to see what he has become. But, but yeah, and also, I don't know, is that maybe even a guy who – Come October, you just stick him in the bullpen, see what happens there. Maybe he can, uh, you know, hump it up a little bit uh, in shorter stints. I don't know where that is. The swing and miss has not been there this year. Um, but also, would I trust 10 more starts of Noah Syndergaard versus 10 more starts of Yusei Kikuchi? Yeah, probably. Um, I, I really like that one. But again, it's, it comes down to, you know, the, the bidding is going to be it's going to be kind of fierce and, and the Blue Jays are in a weird spot, right? I think I saw somebody tweet like the playoff odds and they are like firmly, uh, you know, they're going to make the playoffs. It was above 80. Um, and there's a lot of teams that are sort of more middling and, and it's, it's getting a little more sorted out. You know, the Red Sox clearly, I think that that's over the Orioles nice as it is for them that they've had like a decent run so far. That's not going to happen, but there are, uh, there are still a lot of teams that are in it, um, and every team can use pitching. So I, I don't know, they, but the Blue Jays can't waste this opportunity. They can't miss this opportunity because with a couple additions, they really you know they they're they're as much of a contender as anybody. Especially you know the, some of the batters get hot down the stretch like they did last year, and, and it will be that situation where nobody wants to play them. So they you know they they should they should and I think will kind of go for it more than a lot of people are afraid but you know <laughs> what the hell do i know i mean like if you look at fangrass right now they have the blue jays for a better rest of season winning percentage than the yankees now part of that is strength of schedule but that just i don't know it's easy to think of them as just the yankees and astros are in this tier and the blue jays are kind of at the head of the next tier and i think that's where they are right now but it depends on what they do at the deadline they they aren't a mile away from those teams in terms of quality and we know in a playoff series that as long as you're kind of in the ballpark you've got a shot and they they would absolutely have a shot against either of those teams now but they could really give themselves a good chance if they're able to do this. Another thing that could motivate them is the idea of hosting games in this wild card round or hosting more of them because, you know, a couple of the teams are will be missing some key players if they come to <laughs> Toronto. So the idea of being at the top of the wild card stack, which you could argue shouldn't be worth that much. And even if you want to make a really cynical argument, you you could say that you should tank it so that you can play the leader of the AL Central. Um I don't think, I think they probably think about that a little bit differently. If there's, if they can, I know that there's, you know, the teams aren't exactly the Kansas City Royals who are going to be coming up to them and we'll see what would happen with a Robbie Ray or something like that. But that could be part of their uh, thought process as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think a, a good point, and, and kind of going back to like just the way to view things like about the free agent stuff, like, I don't know, like the Yankees, the Yankees and Astros are not, uh, are not chuckling to themselves like, oh, we have to face the Blue Jays in a playoff series. That that will be easy. Like it, it's uh, sometimes fans get a little tunnel vision and, and are like uh, the day to day of the, the wins and losses really can wear on you. Understandably, we're watching so much baseball and, and seeing so much failure because that's just the nature of the sport. Uh, but I always do like to think of it that way, just as sort of as a as a way to check what we think about, or you know what you know what a reality check of of, of how things are, right? Like uh, the the Astro, especially give the Blue Jays a couple bullpen pieces. You know, the Blue Jays are not that far away. If you know, it does feel like they've been listless, it does feel like there's it's not been you know clicking on all cylinders this uh, this season so far. But but man, if I'm the Astros or I'm the Yankees and I look at a, a, a seven game series against the uh, the Blue Jays, especially the Blue Jays with a little bit more bullpen, a little bit more, you know, 
I'm terrified of that. I don't I don't think that that's a cakewalk in any sense of the word, uh, which is why the Blue Jays should fucking go for it. And I'm not going to do the thing I said earlier and get mad about them for not doing it before they haven't before they had a chance to not do it. But if they don't yeah. do it, I will be mad. Yeah, well, yeah, you guys can tune in at 6.30 on Tuesday and see if Stoughton is mad or not. The, we are through this list, but the bonus guy that they didn't put on the list that has to be talked about literally just for fun is the Shohei Otani of it all. He has been brought up as someone who is, you know, barely available if available, but, um, you know, MLB Network had their graphic with everyone's top four prospects and the deals and all that stuff. Obviously, a 10 out of 10 fit because he's a 10 out of 10 fit on literally every team. You know, the Blue Jays in particular, the left-handed power has been a gap the rotation, et cetera. Don't really have to go too far down that road. We know that he's absolutely outstanding. The likelihood, uh, you know, I put it at a one. I didn't put it at a zero because he is the type of player that I could understand them breaking kind of their own rules for. Like, you know what? This never comes around. And that, you know, he is a player that literally never comes around. I would be thrilled to see him get traded, not even just to the Blue Jays, to anyone because, you know, the way he's languishing with the Angels is just a shame for baseball. I would be unbelievably surprised if they made a move for Shohei Otani, but they are a team that has, you know, a top, top prospect to headline and uh, who he would fit great with. So there's that. Yeah. I mean, they'll get Otani for a couple of years or this year, next, and whatever, wherever, wherever that goes. Uh, just with what they have at the big league level, that gives them some time to rebuild the farm system, empty the damn thing, get Otani, take Iglesias' contract, and also put him in the bullpen. I don't know that that contract's underwater, but he hasn't had a great season. Um, yeah, that would be fantastic, though I do think, and I wrote this the other day, I do, it feels entirely like a thing that would just be, you would waste so much time and energy on it as a front office to like get down to it, get a deal hammered at, and then Artie Moreno comes on and is like, absolutely fucking not, we're not trading Otani. Like, it just seems like pointless yeah it is it is a shame that it makes sense for them to keep like he is such an attraction a way that other players aren't and it trading him away the return would have to be so overwhelming to make it make sense and that franchise is just in a bizarre quagmire at the moment i'd be very surprised if any of that happens but it's worth touching on and uh this will be a hell of a show if they do it uh, on tuesday they won't, but uh, it will. <laughs> they won't, but it will. Uh, before we get out of here, I just think it's worth uh, touching on Matt Chapman a little bit. We didn't have time to do that in our last episode, and he is coming into today's game, so not including that home run, 400, 491, 867 in the old John Schneider era. He's got his WRC Plus into the 120s. I know that the defensive metrics haven't liked him quite as much this season, but he's looking like, you know, this really crucial contributor to the Blue Jays after being someone who kind of sat in the lower third of the lineup and didn't do a ton. You know, he's almost close to Vladdy in terms of home runs for the team, uh, for the team lead. He's just one behind. It, he He strikes me as a player who, if he's going – then the Blue Jays are really going because you know that kind of top five that they have that's going to have Springer and Vladdy and, you know, Springer's got some issues, but, you know, Springer and Vladdy and, you know, at this point, Kirk and Bo and Teoscar Hernandez, like you can kind of lock that stuff in. Gurriel is, uh, you know, he's hot and cold. But if Chapman is really producing too, like suddenly you're terrifying you know, one through seven, which can't be said for a lot of teams. Yeah. Oh, it's it's been fantastic. It's been really nice because he did seem snake bitten from like so much of the first half. We talked about that. We talked about the exit velocities. You know, back even going into whatever. What was it? Mid May that they switched the uh, they well supposedly switched the ball, uh, and, and it was less dead. And he hit so many warning track shots that just felt like they should, you know off the bat they should have been you know home runs if not or doubles if not home runs. Um, yeah, it, it, it's been real good. It's uh, credit to the Blue Jays and to him for, you know, sort of getting him back into the place where he needs to be. And it's been a tough uh, a tough few years for him. I mean, he's been decent. He's been a, he was a four-win player last year, but as a league average hitter. And I think that, you know, obviously the hip issue, not just the surgery, but just the recovery and all of that has been tough. And, and the Jays were kind of confident that he was going to come out of that uh, and that he was feeling fine. They said that all in spring training, and then it looked like maybe that's not correct. 
Uh, and uh, now it's, it's looking real smart, and it's looking. Uh, you know, they got him around for next year, which is fantastic. I'm, you know, I, I don't know if it's going to be a hot and cold thing. It's been a little bit too little to uh, uh, to believe that this is like a new normal for him. I mean, obviously, it's a little. It's not normal for anybody, but but like to to be that kind of guy again. But the fact that he's been as productive a hitter as he was in the past, and like similar to this before. Uh, really gives you a lot of hope about it. I, I, I'm quite into it. I would like them to extend Matt Chapman and, and trade all of the quote-unquote third-base prospects who might <laughs> be good enough to play there. Uh, Aurelvis, Jordan Groshans, uh, go get us some relievers. I'll be fine with that, especially if you extend Matt Chapman. Yeah, I don't think he's going to hit like this you know, for the rest of the season because no one can. I wouldn't be shocked if sort of his season-long line that he's brought up now is something he's capable of bringing forward. You know, that is his WRC plus right now, 125. That's what he did in 2019. You know, he's at 139 in 2018. He's cut his strikeouts down pretty significantly. He still strikes out a lot, but he's well below 30, which is where he was the last couple of seasons. And the interesting thing with potentially extending him is like, how confident are you in his defense and in the way that that's going to come around? And, you know, watching him, it's not like he's been bad by any means. Um, you know, I think he's been quite good and maybe the metrics have even underrated him a little bit, but as he goes into his thirties, you have to have sort of evaluation on his defense just because that's such a big difference maker, you know, for a lot of players whose defense is roughly average, you don't have to focus as much on that part of the evaluation. You're like, it's either going to be, you know, five runs to the good or five runs to the bad. And we can sort of live with that with Chapman. The range is so big because, the ceiling is so high. So I, I I don't know. I'd be interested to know what the organization's take on his defense is right now. I think my assumption from watching is that it hasn't fallen off in a profound way and it's going to be fine going forward. Yeah, I tend to agree. And I also think that like he, like he that'll affect the, the, the number, but also, you know, teams all think the damn same now anyway so you know you talk you talk to an agent and the, the you can probably be like okay well but everybody else is gonna think you know have the same concerns about whether the defense is going for it so uh, I'm, I'm just i'm trying to talk ross atkins into just extending matt chapman i think that would be yeah. uh, sure he's listening no, no doubt with a burner uh we do have <laughs> we do have one caller um kevin so we'll give kevin a shot before we get out of here yeah let's see if kevin did this on purpose or <laughs> <laughs> it's 50 50 yeah. kevin you'll have to unmute but uh if it wasn't on oh he's, he's here all right hey can you hear me yeah man, yeah, man. awesome uh first time calling love the show love the format peterborough in the house hell yeah uh, I'm wondering what you guys think about uh, Stripling, and specifically, if I understand correctly, it's looking like the qualifying offer is going to be around for another year, and he seems like he'd be a really interesting kind of candidate. Not an easy decision, but he's pitching himself into kind of consideration where you might hang that offer on him, and I'm sort of thinking about, if I remember the details correctly, um, what they ended up doing with Estrada, because I'm pretty sure they they gave him the qualifying offer. They kind of depressed his market a little bit, and then they ended up signing him to, you know, a deal that really worked out pretty well. Two or, two or three years, you know, 11 million a year or something like that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and I'm and uh, I was I was put to thinking about this because uh, I was listening to Eno Saris who is saying that Strickland's made some changes to his grip or whatever with the changeup, and now his changeup is kind of elite. Um, and it's become a really effective pitch for him. So I'm, I'm sort of wondering if there's a chance that Stripling becomes, uh, you know, Estrada 2.0, and whether you guys think um, he'd be worth uh, giving a qualifying offer if he continues what he's been doing the rest of this way. Or if you just think, you know, you take what you get from him and, and let him go and, and just be happy with that. I'll, I'll uh, mute and, and listen. Well, first of all, can I ask you, I mean, are you, are you next, to a, next to a river? I'm driving, I'm driving my car, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's just like, thank you, Kevin. Uh, that's a great question. Estrada uh, is a name that came up in my mind as well. About you know when you think about uh, what could happen with Stripling, I kind of feel it's like 
not not the shape of a guy you would give a qualifying offer to. I think we joked about it before that I know that there's so I think there was a piece that was Blue Jays Nation was like, oh, it's a no brainer, and I'm like, oh, it's absolutely not a no brainer. But it's a brainer for sure, yeah, at least a brainer. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think Kevin, you make a, great points that uh, you know the the changeup looking good. I mean. I'm powering Ross Stripling. Love Ross Stripling. I think he's done a really great job this year, obviously. Um, Yeah, doing something in the shape of Estrada wouldn't wouldn't shock me and I think would be really good. Yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't give him the qualifying offer. I'll start with that just because I think that, you know, that's a lot of money to tie up in this type of player. Like, he's been really good, but there's a lot of things you can point to. Like, you know, his expected ERA is still quite a bit higher than his ERA. His expected FIP, a lot higher than his FIP. He's got a home run on fly ball this year of 6.6%. Like, that's less than half his career. I just, I'm not super confident he's going to prevent these home runs from happening at this rate. Even the you know the changeup, it was a really good pitch for him last year. It's more that he's thrown it a lot more. Like his whiff rate on it uh, and put away rate were actually better last year. His batting average on it was better last year, which is it's been good this year, but it's been more about him featuring that pitch. So I'm less inclined to believe that he's sort of discovered something totally new. He's definitely kind of shaken up his approach, and that's interesting. You can't argue with how good he's been, but the guy. You know, he's one of the worst starters in baseball over a lot over 2020 and 2021 when he started. The versatility was obviously valuable, but the performance really wasn't there. I don't know. I, for me, he's a guy where I think I'm pretty damn happy that he was able to put together this run with me. But there's a lot of places you can move your money around. You know, it's a it's a big market out there, and I think that I'd be reticent to be the guy who pays Ross Rippling. I think I'd be happier for someone else. I'd like Ross personally for him to get that money, but I think that I wouldn't want to be the team who's necessarily doing it because he, he's had put together such a good season that he's seriously raised the value he'll get in the offseason. Like coming into this year, if you told me what's his next contract going to be, I would have said, I don't know, maybe like a one year somewhere as a swingman, and he's definitely earned more than that. No, I, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I wouldn't give him a qualifying offer if I thought he would take it, <laughs> but maybe there's something to be worked out where the fact that that's over his head, like Estrada, uh, would allow you to to maybe you know a couple year deal uh, for for eleven eleven million per or something. Maybe that makes maybe that makes some sense. I I, I certainly don't hate the idea. Uh, I think that, I mean, things are changed now, right? Like if, uh, the, the compensation is different between if it's below 50 million or, or above, uh, I believe, uh, he's not going to get more than 50 million on the, fruit, on the open market. Um, because, <laughs> because, you know, as wonderful as a season as he's had, uh, he's still raw stripping. It's like, uh, we're in like Wade Miley territory or, uh, where, where it's like, I don't, I don't understand why this quite works as well as it has. And, and I think, you know, the industry might follow follow suit. So, I don't know. It would be nice to have him back because he's obviously been really valuable and the swingman thing is great. But, uh, and, yeah, I, I, like I say, I'll, I'll just reiterate, I would not, I would not, I would not give him a qualifying offer I thought he would accept. That's valid. Uh, I think we will leave it there. Thanks for that question at the end, Kevin. It is an interesting discussion about Stripling because his results have been so anomalous this season. Um, as we said before, you guys can tune in again on Tuesday. We're going to come to you shortly after the trade deadline and discuss all of the things that did and did not happen for the Toronto Blue Jays. So thanks for tuning in. Yeah, thanks very much, everybody. Talk to you at the deadline.